Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I am your host, Brady Josephson. But for today's episode, I really should be saying hello, bonjour, guten tag, and hello, because we have Andrea Gosin on the show today. She is the product marketing manager at salesforce.org for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. And she uh, is someone who I've been getting to know over the past year because she's been working with me on this research study, looking at the online giving behavior, user experience, and activities of organizations around the world, but specifically Germany, France, the UK, and the Netherlands, uh, countries where she's spent time working. She knows all of those languages, which is amazing. And that's what we discuss in this episode is what fundraising looks like in and amongst those countries and how it compares and contrasts to more of what I know, the fundraising done in Canada and the US. So that's the focus of conversation today. Uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation and thank you as always for listening. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Oh, welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Welcome to the freak show, here we go. It's just another freak show, here we go. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Brady. I'm excited. All right. So before we dive into kind of like European fundraising and research, you speak like five languages, something like that. Uh, we're going to do this in English just because I really only speak one. But uh, of all those languages, like which is your favorite? And, and maybe what was like the easiest one uh, to learn? Um, I got a bias here. I have to say French. <laughs> but, French is your um, favorite and easiest? Uh, yes, because it's my mother's mother tongue. Um, but my husband's probably listening and his language is Greek. So officially my favorite is Greek. <laughs> no way. That's, yeah, I make that's my life the, complicated. That's one of the, the cool things about, you know, Europe is everyone, not everyone, but so many people are, you know, multilingual where we're, uh, we're not so much. So uh, anyways, appreciate you uh, joining and speaking in English here. <laughs> All right. so. Um, <laughs> We're talking about this, you know, big research project that we did with y'all. And uh, for people that don't know, you were really the reason why this happened in the first place. So a huge thank you uh, for helping make this happen. And then all your help with me, you know, us exchanging WhatsApp messages and me having questions like, uh, what's going on in France? So thank you so much uh, for all your help. Uh, I want to first talk about some of just like the differences in fundraising that you see in Europe or across the country, just overall and kind of in general before we talk about anything about the research report, but, you know, when you look at say like fundraising in Europe versus fundraising in the United States and North America in particular, like what are some of the things that you just observe that are like very, very different? So my main observation always is around the recurring giving. So I think um, when I lived in the U S I was really surprised on, on how the focus wasn't so much on recurring giving while in Europe for the last 20 plus, uh, probably a little bit longer, it's sort of been the, the golden goose to get as many recurring givers as possible. I think one other thing I do also see is that um, the North American market is more mature in digital. Um, and we see that definitely back in the study, uh, specifically around marketing automation. Um, so um, I think that Europe has some um, particularities and, and, and especially uh, around um, the forms and the donation landing pages, we saw some 
very interesting cultural differences. So we can get into that a little deeper maybe later in the call. Yeah, well, you, you brought up two of the, the kind of interesting things, too, because I, I kind of have that same view that, you know, the U.S. in particular lags when it comes to recurring. And that kind of came out in the study, but not nearly as, as wide a margin. And so I think this is more for a question for John, who we're going to have on the podcast. And John leads up all of research and is based in Vancouver and Canada. But I wonder if it's a case of the U.S. really trying to catch up, you know, and is actually narrowing that gap a little bit. And again, we're only looking at donation pages and what we can see from from websites. And at least that gap seems to be a lot narrower. So I thought, you know, that was kind of interesting. And then um, on the email and, and automation, unique things, I was actually just lacking this morning with Ava, who is our research partner in Germany, because we saw a really shocking result where basically only two organizations sent an email after 30 days to the online donor that wasn't asking for money. And we were like, is this, is this true? Cause the graph line goes from like high to like <laughs> nobody. And she's like, yeah, you know, between GDPR being like really, 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 really cognizant of GDPR and just kind of like part-time people not investing in digital. Like she listed a bunch of reasons to say, you know, that's kind of what we saw, but that was, it was shocking to see some of those, you know, drop yeah. off when it came to email communication. So you, you, you were aware of that. That's the thing you see that. Oh yeah. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> um, it was, it was an interesting result. And, and, and we had talked about it internally that in the 90 days we were following about 1500 plus emails being sent in the U S and, and 150 plus in, in Germany. So that's a factor of 10. Um, <laughs> I'm not surprised with, uh, with the reasons Ava gave either. They, they have, GDPR, obviously, but Germany has additional privacy legislation. Um, and I think one of the other things is also uh, very strong awareness uh, around that within the organization. Um, mm -hmm. So some organizations delete all of their data after six months already, and then marketing automation becomes a bit more complicated. Um, right. so there, is, there is a big difference there for sure. Um, so when we look at Europe, so we included, you know, Netherlands, Germany, uh, France, and the UK uh, from Europe in particular. But when you look at different countries, are, are some kind of like more advanced or kind of leading the way than others? Or is there like a hierarchy of who's kind of like the gold standard of fundraising in Europe or, you know, any anything that kind of separates within European countries that you've seen? So I think one thing that I see um, is that... Um, the maturity of the market in terms of digital is driving the innovation. So, and then mm -hmm. I mean like um, in terms of, for example, um, e-commerce. Uh, so usually when a country um, is very advanced in digital payments in just using digital, maybe even with government processes, we also see that the charity sector is more mature. Um, mm -hmm. We see that particularly in, in, in UK and Ireland. Uh, part of that is as well that is the language. So if you have access uh, to the English language suppliers, I think you, you have the advantage that you have access mm -hmm. to a larger market of knowledge. You definitely have more benchmark data uh, than we have in continental uh, Europe. Um, and I think the, the last thing that we're really seeing is that the countries that are maybe not um, as mature but are catching up are, are those that... Um, are more receptive to the English, um, yeah, wealth of knowledge that's out there. So the Netherlands and Nordics are very digital countries by themselves already, and they and they use a lot of um, 
the benchmarking data if they don't have it for their own uh, region. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And this is this is something that is currently in hypothesis that we're trying to test with data. So this study definitely confirmed again that um, those markets are more advanced in, in online fundraising. Um, on the other hand, we did see some interesting things in Germany and France. So um, nobody, uh, everybody has a little bit to improve and, uh, and, uh, and a lot to uh, to be proud of. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and that's a good point. I mean, every time we've ever done any of these studies, I mean, our bias is always how do organizations improve in every single time. It's like everyone. There's no organization that's like or country or region that's like nailed and perfect. No, no way, not at all. What was interesting is when we were trying to figure out, you know, how do these countries rank and we use like the Charities Aid Foundation Global Giving Index to see kind of like where countries rank. And, uh, you know, like Ireland was number five, who wasn't in the study, but they were the highest European country. UK was seven, Netherlands was eight, Germany 18, and then France was 66. And that, yeah. that was really surprising to me. And I'd be interested to know, like, what are some of the reasons why France would rank, you know, so low in the World Generosity Index compared to some other some other countries any reasons for that um i'm not quite sure on on the on the background of it i i think part of it is um also that maybe a lot of it isn't recorded i found that especially in europe payment dictates a lot of the processes within charities uh, mm. so france is still a heavily um check based cash based country um and, and and another thing that we we see also in in France is still a lot of direct mail, uh, same mm. as in Germany. Um, so those well non-digital payment methods also make recording sometimes uh, more laborious. Mm. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think uh, for a large country uh, like France, it's also. Uh, around well, this is the classic American-European divide. That um, it's a country that's very much around the government in the sense that we yeah. expect. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Podcasting. <laughs> yeah, podcasting out. from home. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we see is that in 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 France, a lot of the services that are delivered by nonprofits in North America are expected to be delivered by the state. Um, yeah. So there's a different interaction with the nonprofit sector um, in, in that way, and that also yeah. expresses itself in, in donations. Um, on yeah. the other hand, I mean, France has a 66% tax deduction that they just increased during the pandemic. So there is a definite incentive from the state to donate. Yeah, and that's that's what I thought was was interesting. Is you know, there's other countries that have maybe not to the degree of France in terms of how involved the government is, but like from what I understand, at least, you know, Netherlands, Germany, the UK to a degree, like way more government involvement than the US, but those countries are still in the generosity index and the methodology and charities aid foundation, at least they're still, you know, seven, eight, 18, and then huge gap to France, which was 66. And that was one of the most interesting examples that we pulled out as one of the donation pages from France. And in general, France scored pretty high on donation pages uh, there's a lot of the pages were very similar. So I think there's kind of like one provider that a lot of people use that's kind of out of the box, but at least using our methodology, it scored pretty well, but one of them allows you to calculate or like when you put in how many euros you were going to donate, it did the calculation of like how much this actually costs you once you get back, you know, the 66% and you know, you're going to make a 50 euro donation. And it says, 
is really only 17 euros, you know, out of your pocket basically. And we're like, that's a really interesting, you know, way to calculate that and keep that upfront. But also that's a huge tax deduction. That's very different than how things are structured here in the States. So that was really yeah, interesting in France. I used to actually be an online fundraiser in France. So I remember on December 31st, you would have the the total procrastination of humanity because all of the donations would come in about an hour for midnight because everybody <laughs> was trying to get in their tax deduction. So as an yeah. online fundraiser in France, you would never ask the 31st of December off because that was your day. And, and yeah. it was pretty gorgeous to see it all rolling in. So, But it, <laughs> it, it puts a big strain on your system. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I mean, we, we yeah. see December 31st is the largest individual day of, of giving in the United States. Yes. And it's partly related to tax, but especially now, like there's actually very, very few donors who can actually claim the tax deduction, but it's still just like a, an end date and a tax thing. It's interesting. Um, so before we get into some of this study, and we're kind of bouncing around because we've talked about the study already, but I'd be interested to know if you've seen that kind of any trends emerge or things that you're seeing more when it comes to fundraising or online fundraising in those kind of European countries and markets. I mean, that's where you've been doing your work. So like, what have you seen change, you know, over the last maybe five, 10 years, if anything? So I think one of the things um, that I found really interesting, the first one is the huge volume difference we saw between how many emails were sent. Um, the other part um, that I found interesting is that when we removed Brazil and Mexico, we still had one in 10 organizations where we couldn't complete the donation, um, which to me really pushes to the importance of testing. Um, so when you put everything in place, um, don't assume it will work forever. Just always make sure that those basic processes are tested. Um, and then what for me is particularly striking because I've lived in most of these countries is the element of personalization is is limited. Um, so for organizations that I've donated to in, in Germany, in France, and in, in other countries um, like Switzerland, I, I still received emails that say, Sergi heert her. Uh, and hair means mister, and I'm definitely a lady, um, <laughs> or uh, um, any personalization that's in the line of dear supporters. Even though I've been a long-term donor, and I saw some of that um, also in this this study, that, that even the basic elements of personalization, um, which we are very used to in direct mail, like uh, direct mail right. has many elements. Um, if you look in countries, like Switzerland, you have so many categories because of three languages and different packages and different um, lines of personalization. We don't see that always coming back in the online um, journeys that they that they provide with us. Um, right. And then the last part, what I do see is advancing a lot more, um, is that um, we have a very strong awareness of, of GDPR. So we do see more... Uh, indication of preferences from the donor. Mm. And I think it's also important to realize that um, depending on the organization, they're trying to mix more of the newsletter part with the donation experience so that uh, fundraising is not only a, a request for money and using the donor as an ATM, but also an engagement experience and even experience in, in realizing the goals of the organization. 
Um, this study was a bit too short for testing that la last uh, hypothesis, but but I do see that changing a lot. So I find that I find that really um, really interesting, and I think that that will become a lot uh, more prominent in the years to come. So. Yeah, we were just talking about that in the in our office this morning. There's, the more that we do research on cultivation, and that's our definition for emails for the purpose isn't to ask for money. So anything else, newsletters, blog posts, whatever it might be. And we were looking at a case study where a client, uh, like they actually got to the level of depth where they looked at donations by um, email engagement. So someone was either active, open, clicked an email in the last six months, or inactive, basically hasn't done that. 91% of all donations in this campaign came from people who are active on their email file. And I mean, that's like, of course, we, we know that, but we're starting to actually get some data behind it. And then you start making the case of, well, here's why you should send a blog post only email, or here's why you should send an email a little bit more frequently is if you can get someone to open or click an email and stay engaged when you ask, you're going to raise way more money. Whereas the strategy of like one newsletter a quarter or even one big newsletter a month, if they miss it, you know, they go a few months, then when you do send an appeal, it will hurt. So there's so much room to optimize fundraising with not even asking anymore, to your point. I think that's a trend we're seeing too. And we're starting to get more and more data to see not only is this like a nice thing philosophically, we shouldn't treat donors like ATMs, but just pure ROI bottom line, you will raise more money if you do a good job engaging donors, like full stop. You know, we're starting to draw those lines more directly, which is, is, which is uh, really, really cool. Um, yeah, it's also, I think it's so, I mean, I think it's the silver lining of, in a way of this pandemic that people really do want to give, they really do want to be involved. So so we as online fundraisers, um, and even as, as marketing people can provide them that engagement. And I think what, what we're seeing, even with some of the organizations um, that I've worked with lately, they just changed the subject line from newsletter, which is very common in continental Europe, you will just get newsletter and if you're very unlucky it will huh. be newsletter one newsletter two newsletter no way. 84e yeah <laughs> um if you just change that to something that's relevant um so it can be really anything i i, re I received one because i still i i, I enjoy it next after very much i do my little experimentation on the signs as well i received one email this morning and newsletter 284 saying that they found a cure for a specific muscle disease with a lot of prominence. And I was like, if you put that in line, you could have like tripled your set of newsletters to an 84. And so simple, um, but so powerful. So yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely <laughs> something to, uh, yeah, to work on in terms of, uh, well, of thinking of those things. Yeah, and just you know, huge, huge opportunity again. When when uh, I was chatting with with Ava too, just talking about whether it's email volume or how things are structured, that's what's so cool is you just see, man, you, you don't even have, have to send eighteen more emails. Just you're already sending a newsletter. Just change the subject line to be something that's more appealing, and boom, you know, you're getting more engagement and things like that. And that's what's so valuable about you know things like that. Um, so you talked about a few of the things that kind of were interesting. Was there anything else that jumped out in the early findings that I know you haven't had as much time as me to like dig through the whole report, but did anything else jump out as surprising or not? Um, I think also one thing I thought was funny you asked me about was um, why they put so many things on the form in terms of Mrs. or Mr. phone number stuff. I think, I think that is something that realized 
later that a lot of these things are language based. So for French and German, you have to uh, gender your your communication, um, and 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 that already makes it just slightly more difficult to automate it in a way. Um, totally. And 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 I just <laughs> until you asked me that question, I just never realized. Uh, that that factors into it. One of the other things I found very interesting is um, in France, they're used to a free column form uh, that has to do with the main free suppliers in the market providing that free column form. So actually the majority of the nonprofits um, use that. And, and it was interesting to me <laughs> to see that there almost no testing around that. Um, I would be, as an online fundraising, very tempted to just do a little bit different uh, kind of thing. So I think that's also something that I want to highlight with this report. Please test. So um, yeah, well, that's one of the things we're doing uh, a webinar in France. I uh, interesting as a non-speaker, but one of the things I'm actually <laughs> going to call out is one of the reasons why France scored pretty well in the donation pages was they used three columns, so there was no step. You could fill out all your information on one page, which generally is advisable. And they were they generally removed like distractions and things. So there's some good things, but it was really narrow, right? Like because you're trying to put three columns on one page, when you put in your information, when you're making donation selection, everything's kind of small and a little cramped. And what our research would suggest is keep it simple and streamlined, but move it so it's going linear and kind of break it up, you know, step one, step two, step three. And so like, that's going to be a suggestion is like, can anyone test this, you know, and maybe you can use something like Google Optimize to not even change your form, but just change the elements or it'd be interesting to know because maybe that doesn't work in France, but uh, we just don't know, you know, so that's what's so cool about the the research and the testing. Um, and I, I know one of the things that stood out is obviously the tools and technology, like a provider in France versus a provider in the Netherlands, you know, just like a provider in the United States or Canada what they can and can't do dictates a ton of what a nonprofit or an organization can and can't do. Right. So again, there's all these like caveats and limitations and we don't really get into that in our research study. It's not what it's about. We're saying, here's the experience. Here's what we thought was good. Here's what we thought was bad. Now, how do we go figure out, is this good or bad? And what can we do within the constraints of our tools and systems and things like that? Right. Yeah, and we're we're definitely want to look at that actually further. So we're now also looking further at that constituent experience, and and can we do surveys around it uh, on how that makes you, as a donor, um, well, not to get too philosophical, but feel like in terms of uh, some of the donations that were made, um, there wasn't even a thank you message or a follow up, and in, in the ninety days that followed, so it might have been later. Um, but um, I think those kind of basic processes is definitely something that contributes to a factor into donating again or becoming a regular giver. Um, so, yeah, I think it's yeah. a, a lot more research to be done, even though this was already a monster study. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking off air before how we could do, you know, 12 other studies just based off this, you know, data set alone. Well, we could talk about different findings. And uh, like I said, we're going to have John on at another time. We'll probably have you on again later on down the road to see, you know, what's changing and things like that. But before I let you go, uh, we like to do some rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you, and uh, here we go. What TV show uh, are you watching right now? 
I'm watching an Italian TV show right now. It's the one language I don't speak, so I'm trying to catch up on that one. <laughs> what's, um, what's the show called for those like uh, Italian cinephiles? <laughs> it's called Summertime. It's on Netflix. Summertime on Netflix. My wife and I just uh, binge watched Lupin. In, uh, oh, that's gorgeous! Oh, yeah, ah, I love Omar so good. Yeah, oh, yeah, so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so good. So there, there you go. Italian. I actually French saw French. him once in the French Metro. Well, it was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what What about uh, an app or a website that you use all the time? One of your favorites. So, it's uh, good to go. Uh, at Salesforce, we've been working from home for a long time, and we'll be working from home still. So um, um, I'm not the best chef. I credit those that do my <laughs> Greek husband. <laughs> that's a good to go. You can pick up food from a, a restaurant or a hotel that, uh, that they're no longer selling. So it's a good app. Enjoy the user awesome. experience. I had, uh, I had someone on um, who was calling in from Kenya. And one of the questions was like, what do you DoorDash most frequently? And he's like, yeah, we don't have DoorDash here, but there's some equivalent. They had Uber Eats, you've got good to go, whatever it might be. Um, favorite podcast, and you can't say this one, of course, but what what's the favorite podcast of yours that you like to listen to? Oh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> I have twin voice. I only listen to the next after podcast. You know, you have to prioritize. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take it. Um, what about favorite person or not favorite person? That's, that's way too complicated, but a person or an organization that you think people should follow if they want to learn more about say fundraising in Europe. Um, so yeah, the biggest thing we say about Europe always, it's not one, one country. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I really, I really enjoy, um, if you just want general news, I, I like reading up on the EFA. In the European Fundraising Association. If you want a person, I enjoy um, listening to Jan Uckerman. He does it both in English and German, so you also get a little bit on the on the German market. And I mean, not to go off on a huge tangent, but Jan is actually the initial starting point for this whole thing because I was on his podcast like seven years ago or something I know. like that. I actually and then he it. went to raise now, and then I went over to speak, and you were at raise now, and Marco, and you're at Salesforce, and this whole thing I think could probably be drawn all the way back to Jan Krumen. So uh, good <laughs> shout out to uh, to Jan there. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Andrea. I know it's uh, it's late there for you, and you've got your kids. So thank you so much for taking time, and thank you again so much for all the work that you've done to help make this research possible. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Um, if people want to learn more about you and the specific work that you and uh, Salesforce are up to, where can they find out more about y'all? Uh, so it's very easy. Salesforce.org has a website called Salesforce.org. Um, I'm a very <laughs> brilliant, <laughs> heavy Twitter addict, so you can follow me on Twitter, Andrea in NGO Land. Um, used to be an Alice in Wonderland fan. So. <laughs> There you That's go. Well, I, giving think, me the cue. I think that means it's time to end. Uh, it's time to end. Yeah. So uh, thank you again so much for, for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care.
Hi again, this is Brady, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com, or you can search The Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest, or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening. 